Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What Joey didn't tell us is that he moved to the Grand Ole Opry, where all the tap dancing and clogging's <laughs> going on. <laughs> all right, let me try that again. As soon as the jump roping stops. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I am the box topper of this podcast, so full of value. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I am the master set of EDH Rec, packed to the brim with sterling reprints. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? We're going to do some deck techs. That is right. Some listeners sent some decks in to maybe for us to pry at, pick apart, give some insight on. Hopefully we can spruce up some of the decks that we're seeing here. Should be pretty fun. Yeah, it should be. Let's do it. Before we get started, though, I have to ask, did you guys play any fun games recently? New cards that you got? What's going on this past week? I didn't get to play a whole lot of Commander this past week. I played a, a couple games, got to play my Miri, played a little bit of... Uh, Moldrotha, and then I dug out my Edgar decks for those, you know, the three games that I got to play. But I played a lot of Modern this past weekend, so that was super fun. Found another shop to go try out and got to jam a little bit. It was good to to get out, but not a whole lot to speak of commander-wise. Well, this is an EDH podcast, so Matt, uh, you're going to have to leave, I'm afraid, if all you're doing is playing Modern. I, I said that I played a few games of Commander. <laughs> Matt can't get fired from everything he does. That's what's, come on, let's show a little sympathy. You can't kick me let's, while I'm that far down, yeah. Let's say that you were doing research for your 60 to 100 articles. How about that? That I was, actually. That I was. <laughs> awesome. Dana, how about you? Um, I played a couple games this week. I'm still playing with my Saskia um, Exalted deck that I'm liking so far. I still haven't found the balance I want with it yet, but it's a 
long-term project I'm going to stick with. Um, I really need, I think I'm just going to start making up some new exalted cards for it. I think that's my, that's my solution is just to invent proxy exalted cards don't exist and put them in the deck. <laughs> that seems uh, like quite the undertaking, I suppose. It's a creative workaround. Well, I'm glad that you're having fun where you're having fun. Just make sure that you alert the table, I suppose, before the game starts. Right. I suppose. I, like Guys, I'm making that. I'm playing with made-up cards. Is that cool? I'm going to play this two-mana spell that wins me the game. Right. What, you right. guys haven't heard of it? It has Exalted. <laughs> this, this is a card that I found on the Create a Card Reddit thread. <laughs> right. Oh, man. I myself have not gotten the chance to play any new games or pick up any new cards. I think at best I got to play one game last week. The reason that I haven't had enough time for games is actually because I moved recently from one apartment to another. I'm a bit farther downtown. I can actually see the Space Needle from my new place, so that's been really awesome. But it also means that I have not had the time for games. The one game that I did play, though, I got to play Edgar just like you said that you did, Matt. Um, I forgot how much fun Edgar Markov is. I know that people don't like attacking in this multiplayer format, but I really like attacking in this multiplayer format. Yeah, turning creatures sideways is my national pastime if I were a nation, but yeah, I, I love the combat step. I know some other content producers don't, but I do, so who cares? And I like the graveyard in addition to the combat step, but that's just me. There's a lot of fun, fun vampires too, and the deck makes you a lot of bodies, so it's not like you're just turning things sideways with a crawworm or something. You've got a bunch of cool vampires that are making vampire tokens you can do stuff with. It's just a very active deck. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't get the hate for that either, particularly in that build. Right, and what's so cool about it is just that it also, it's a way, since it makes all of those extra tokens, it does give you card advantage, even if it's not drawing you cards, which I think is really cool. And I like finding ways that you can accrue card advantage without drawing cards. I think that's a, a really neat lesson to take when we're looking at ways that colors can be good. And I know that Edgar Markov has black, so he does have access to card draw, but the fact that he makes extra dudes is itself a form of advantage, which is really, really useful. Yeah, that's the only deck that I've ever seen where Captivating Vampire was kill on sight, because... As soon mm -hmm. as that, that guy resolves, everybody's like, uh, they're going to steal all our stuff, aren't they? We got to get rid of that three drop. Never mind there's a Consecrated Sphinx on the table, but that three drop is what's going to you know, ruin the game. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. Attacking is indeed pretty darn fun, which I think segues us into the commander for one of the decks that we received from a listener to pick apart and improve. Matt, do you want to tell us about this listener-submitted deck? Yeah, so one of our listeners, um, Harold K., I put out a tweet the other day from the, the podcast uh, Twitter account saying, hey, what do you guys have some decks that you know maybe aren't working so great for you guys that you want a little feedback on? Maybe we can use the, the EDH Rec website itself. You know, the reason that we're here, get you some feedback on you know what you're looking to do with the deck, where everything's missing, just kind of do a general like deck doctor type help for some of the listeners. So Harold K. sent us in an email and he said, pulls help. He just said P-L-S-H-A-L-P. Harold, your grammar's terrible. But anyways, then he, I, he his, his grammar gets better. I disagree. I use Don't that worry. kind of grammar all the time. Well, his grammar got better. So What does, um, his, gra what does his grammar have to do with any of this? Well, I, I mean, I was just reading pulls help. <laughs> anyways, so Harold goes he on to say. He means it's more of a spelling thing than a grammar I thing. thought you were making fun Maybe. of his grandma. No, no, she's a nice lady. Okay. I think we've completely derailed this. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Harold would want this. This is, this is how he would want it to be. That was his grandma's it's, it's, dying wish. It's our mission to interrupt Matt every time that he tries to read this email. It's my mission to like interrupt every start that you have. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's a payback. 
<laughs> all right, uh, sorry, go on. All right, so Harold says, uh, I want to make this deck flow consistently, but I worry I don't have enough ramp on bodies to do so. I keep going over the video that inspired it, but I don't know if my modifications or pet cards are ruining the deck synergy. So he sent us the deck list. It's for a, a, a Vevictus Asmati, the Dire. So the new Elder Dragon from Jun Colors in M19. Says, any help is appreciated. Thank you for your time. Harold K. So Harold watched uh, the Commander's Quarters. Uh, they did a video of Vevictus Asmati a while ago. Put this deck together. And we'll link it in the show notes for everybody. Or, or, or put a link on there somehow for everybody. Um, but it's an all-permanence deck. There are no spells, no instants or sorceries. It's all... 40 creatures, 37 lands, 13 enchantments, one planeswalker, and eight artifacts. So zero instants or sorceries. So, but it's one of those all permanence decks, uh, obviously built to abuse Vivictus Asmati uh, and just his ability whenever he attacks, you get to put some stuff from the top of the library on top after you blow something up. So it's really cool. It cheats a lot of stuff out. It's one of the Elder Dragons that I think I was the most excited for personally. But yeah, it looks like a pretty fun deck. What do you guys think? I also think that it looks pretty cool. Harold, thank you so much for submitting this deck. I hope that our advice is going to end up being pretty good about it. So as Matt mentioned, Vevictus is Monty the Dire. That's the six mana, six, six Jund Elder Dragon. It flies and it's got that weird trigger that he mentioned. Whenever it attacks, for each player you choose a permanent they control, those permanents get sacrificed, and then everyone who sacrificed a permanent this way reveals the top card of the library and puts it onto the battlefield if that top card is a permanent card also. So it kind of chaos warps the battlefield every time it attacks, which is why this is an all-permanence deck, because then you'll basically always hit gas every time Vivictus attacks. You're never going to be sad with what you hit, while your opponents might flip a spell and not be able to get it. So that would be a pretty neat way to get more card advantage that way, too. I think it looks pretty intense. Yeah, and, and I'm always a fan of decks that are have like one specific weird thing, like I'm not running spells. I like that. I like seeing decks that have a twist like that. You, you like it when they have some sort of a, a kitsch to them? Yeah, yeah, like you're some kind of a hook. So like, hey, I'm not running any artifacts in this deck, or I'm, on, I'm only running instants or something like that. Like I, I'm always a fan of seeing those kind of decks. Right, I think you actually yourself sure. personally kind of uh, brew around those too. Your Sigarda deck doesn't have any enchantments, for example. Uh, excuse me, any artifacts in it. <laughs> right, Sorry yeah. About that. that kind of thing. Yeah, so this definitely seems up our alley, but that doesn't mean that we can't offer some critiques about it. The first thing that we wanted to do was go to EDHREC itself and see what EDHREC has to say. There's a really cool feature on EDHREC on the far right tab. There's something called Rex. And when you put that in, when you click on that one, you can actually add your deck list and select what your commander is. And then the website will very conveniently analyze all of the cards that you're running and then provide you with very specialized suggestions on which cards you're not currently running that EDHREC actually says could be like, you know, it seems as the most popular. That way you don't have to sift through every single card on that commander's page. It can just compare the stuff that you're already running and then show you the stuff that EDHREC thinks that you could be in addition to the stuff you're already running. And it's just nice to have it kind of honed down that way. So we figured that we would do the same thing here when we're looking at Harold K's deck. We would put this Vevictus list into the EDH Rec Rex tab and see what the site has to say. So, guys, what does the site have to say? Well, so the top recommended card to add in there is one of the new ones from the Commander 18 product, uh, Emissary of Grudges, which I think is kind of a spicy one because uh, it's a way to cast instants and sorceries without actually putting any in your deck. So, Emissary of Grudges is five and a red for a 6 5 flyer with haste. And it says, as Emissary of Grudges enters the battlefield, secretly choose an opponent. 
then you can also reveal the player you chose. Choose new targets for target spell or ability if it's controlled by the chosen player, and if it targets you or a permanent you control, activate this ability only once. You kind of get to fork, you know, what it, uh, misdirect a spell or ability that they have with Emissary or Grudges. So you can steal something. It's pretty gnarly. I like it because you can cheat it out and, you know, secretly steal something, you know, later on down the road. I think that's a really good point. Like, as you mentioned, this is a deck without spells, and Emissary kind of pilfers a spell from someone if they get too cocky and think that maybe you didn't secretly choose them. That's a really good point, and I can actually totally see why that would be a top recommendation. Yeah, well, and when you look at all these recommendations, underneath it, it has a little score up next to it that uh, just says, recommended cards in order of how strongly EDHREC thinks you should be playing it. So a 53% score, I'm guessing, you know, 53% of these Favictus decks that aren't or are playing it, and you just happen not to be. Uh, the next card is Lightning Greaves, which has a 35% score. Just kind of gives you a kind of a, a comparison on how many other Favictus decks are playing this card that you are not. Yeah. And one thing nice about Emissary of Grudges, too, is being a 6-5 with Flying and Haste, it can swing as soon as it comes into play. It has evasion baked in. So even if there's, you know, nobody manages to cast a spell that you can actually use the ability with, it doesn't really necessarily matter. That's still going to do work in that deck when it's on the field. Yeah, that's a super neat one. This deck, in classic Jund fashion, is going to punch people, and you could do a lot worse than a 6-5 flying with haste, in addition to your already flying commander. That sounds pretty awesome. Matt, you mentioned that Lightning Greaves was the next most recommended card, and that I'm really happy to see. I was surprised in looking over Herald's deck, actually, that there wasn't a Lightning Greaves already in the deck, because attacking right out the gate with Evictus seems pretty important. Yeah, it turns out not, not only giving your, your commander haste when the whole deck kind of revolves about it, but protecting your commander is kind of a big deal too. When your whole deck is, when it's all permanence, it's probably a little overcosted, just typically. So being able to protect and make sure your commander stays around is going to be a pretty big deal. Right, and there are a couple of things already in the deck list, and we'll get to more of the details of the actual deck list itself pretty soon here, uh, but there is a Swiftfoot Boots already in the list, for example, and there's also an Asceticism in the list, so we can see that you know keeping our stuff protected is definitely important, and this would just be another piece of that puzzle. And one thing that Greaves brings to the table in this particular deck is, unlike Hexproof, Shroud prevents you yourself from targeting the thing that it's equipped to, in Vedictus, you have to pick something, and if you're in a position where you're down to just your com just your commander or something in play that you don't want to lose, if you want Greaves to be on it, it can protect it from being chosen by the ability. Hmm. That's, yeah. Alrighty. That sounds pretty cool. Up next on the EDH Rec Rex, we're seeing the card Sifter Worm. I have to admit, this is one that I've not seen before. So Sifter Worm is five green green, that's seven mana for a seven seven worm with trample. And it says when it enters the battlefield, you scry three, then reveal the top card of your library. You gain life equal to that card's converted mana cost. What do you guys think of this one for Vivectus? It's pretty good top deck manipulation. Yeah, it, it sets up your top deck, presumably with something with a, with a high cost that you're going to then use the ability on to put into play, and you gain life in the process. Those seem like a couple of pretty decent things, and it drops a 7-7 trample body in, under the field while doing it. I mean, maybe it's not the most efficient way to do it, but it's doing multiple things for you simultaneously that this deck all wants. I suppose. I do like the top deck manipulation, and we'll see later that top deck manipulation is definitely a pretty important part of Herald's deck, but this seems like a lot of mana to do it. That's my only problem. 
Well, you don't have to worry about the mana cost when, you know, you cheat in with Vivictus and set up your next turn, too. You're right. This is very, it, it's weird for me. I only know how to cheat creatures into play from graveyards, not from the top of the deck. It's very, it, it, it's very new territory for me. So that's, that's true. why I'm having difficulty adjusting. I mean, I don't know how to cast extra turn spells. I only do them for free with Narset. So I, I get, I get where you're coming from, Joey. <laughs> Alrighty. And the last one that we've got here on the top row is World Shaper. That is the four mana, three, three green merfolk shaman that says whenever it attacks, you mill three cards. And when it dies, you get lands from your graveyard onto the battlefield tapped. I love this guy. And I'm actually really excited to see it here in the Vivictus deck, not only because it's more attack triggers, but also this is kind of a neat way to pseudo creature ramp, which I think is pretty darn cool. Since there are no spells in this deck, you don't even have things like Cultivate or Kodama's Reach or Rampant Growth or things like that. So having your ramp effects on a creature, I think that's pretty darn neat. I think in theory, I think that makes sense in theory. I think in this particular deck as it's built, there's not a lot of lands that are being put in the graveyard. There's Expanse and there's Evolving Wilds. There's a Ghost Quarter. I think that may really be it for lands that you have a way to put in the graveyard outside of them blowing up via Victus himself. So I, I, I would guess that this card is going to whiff way more than it doesn't. I think it's a good card. I think there's a lot of decks where it does a lot of work. I don't know if this is the deck for it, though. See, I, I think it's actually very good. I, I the, the nice thing about it is with Vivictus, you have to target something of your own every time Vivictus attacks. So what this card does is it makes everything basically, you know, you blow up one of your own lands because with World Shaper, you're going to get them all back later. You don't have to attack with World Shaper. He can be just a nice blocker and just say, hey, you can attack me, but I'm going to block with World Shaper. I'm going to get five lands back. Like that's quite the deterrent by itself because people don't want to give you that many resources. And at the same time, if, if they're using like a Swords of Plowshares or Path to Exile on your World Shaper instead of your Vivictus, I think you're coming out way ahead anyways. So I, I actually, I really like World Shaper. I think it adds a nice dynamic. Like, I don't think the first ability is relevant at all. You don't need to attack. But it's just a very good deterrent, you know, for getting people to, to block and gives you a way to get those lands back that you're going to be blowing up with your with your commander. Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I feel like in a deck where you're running like the perfect suite of fetches and, you know, have multiple land destruction lands and other things that are putting lands in the yard frequently... I think it's probably going to do work. I just think the odds of you getting enough lands off this requires both people to not have grave hate out at all, and it requires you to be blowing up your own lands on multiple turns before this guy dies. I, I, that seems like a lot of things that have, have to happen simultaneously for a payoff. I like the card. I just don't know if the, the, the particular mix of cards in this actual build is the one that wants it. Well, you're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> the the I floor mean, isn't high enough. We get it. It isn't. I just don't think it is. I, I think that you're just there's a mathematically looking at this land base. I don't think you're going to have enough lands in the graveyard frequently and fast enough to take advantage of it. Don't yeah, you throw I, that numbers word out with us. <laughs> <laughs> I do like what Matt said because Vivictus does have to target one of your own permanents. So if sure. you are getting your own lands, getting you know some of those lands back into play is pretty cool. But there is a speed element that you mentioned as well. So like I do get it, but I do personally side with Matt. And I think that it would be a pretty interesting include. And I, I don't think he's wrong in a general sense. I think there's a version of this deck where it, the card's a bomb. I just don't know if this is that version of the deck. Sure. I, what do you yeah. think of the next row that we're seeing here? I think the next row is fire, literally, because Atali Primal Storm is there. 
<laughs> I mean, more lightning than fire, but I suppose lightning begets fire. Yeah, we're seeing some really cool cards here in the next row for these recommendations. First is Acidic Slime, which we all know what Acidic Slime does. And yeah, that's a pretty annoying card defensively and offensively. Uh, but then also the card after that is Atali Primal Storm, which has a pretty similar effect to Vivictus, actually. Yeah, but well, and Atali, when we talked about the Boros episode, you know, back in the day, we talked about how Atali was like one of those great things that scales really well in multiplayer games for for the commander format. So seeing that on there, you get card advantage by, you know, attacking with Atali because you're getting something from every player at the board. Whereas, you know, with Vivictus, sure, they, they get their own thing from the top, but with Atali, you get it. So it's just a pretty cool little compliment to Vivictus. That's how good Atali is in a Boros deck, is that you can run it in a Jun deck and still feel like it's a strong card. So if you're running this in Jun and being like, yeah, this does a lot of work, then it absolutely is doing work on your Boros deck. Yeah, I have to agree. Atali is pretty bonkers. It's every time that I see it, I'm just like, huh, that's going to be a problem next turn. And then I end up being right. Atali's pretty cool, and I think that would be a really great include. We've got a couple more artifacts that are recommended after this. There's Darksteel Pendant, a two-mana artifact that is indestructible, and it says you can pay one and tap it to look at the top card of your library and then put that card on the bottom if you'd like. So basically just scries one every turn, which is pretty cool. And then after that, we've got things like Golgari Signet and Gruul Signet that are recommended. What do you guys think of these artifacts? I think Darksteel Pendant's a fine scry, like source of top deck manipulation. Yeah, they're both efficient. Um, Golgari Signet is obviously, the Signet cycle is good in almost every deck, just period. And Darksteel Pendant does a nice budget version of uh, Divining Top. And in this deck, I think you want multiple redundant top deck manipulation effects, and that does it relatively cheaply. And if you need to, absolutely, you know, something you can blow up to and you've only wasted two mana getting into play, there's way worse things to pick as your Victus target than Darksteel Pendant. Yeah, I think that these especially, uh, the Signets and the Pendant, are really important for this deck. Since we know that we're going into a spell-less deck, the Signets are incredibly important. We do have some really cool creatures that provide us with mana here. We've got things like Farhaven Elf, we've got a Birds of Paradise, we've got Wood Elves that are uh, in Herald's deck already. But we don't have things like the Signets that could help us with providing more mana advantage. And I think that the the mana ramp in this deck is actually going to be pretty important. If we're not using some of the classic spells, we do need it in other ways, and we especially need it because a lot of Harold's deck is really, really expensive, which is exactly what it should be. He's trying to cheat stuff into play for free with Vevictus so that he can avoid all those mana costs. But if Evictus isn't on the field, gets removed a couple of times, it's going to be really hard to pay for all of those really expensive spells if you don't have proper ramp, and I think that that makes things like the Signet really, really important. I think the Signet also protects you a little bit from things like Torpor Orb effects, where it's going to shut down a lot of your land ramp on creature abilities. Being able to also ramp via artifacts is pretty useful here, just to keep things diverse. Okay, so those are some of the cards that EDH Rec is recommending for the deck, but if we're going to add cards to a deck, then obviously we have to take cards out too. So let's take a deeper look at Harold's actual deck now and see where those cards might fit in and what cards we think would probably need to get taken out if we were to put those in. Dana, what are some cards that are sticking out to you from the deck list? The enchantments, especially, is where I'm looking at and seeing stuff. I always think it's really dangerous to run auras in decks that don't have a creature you're logically attaching it to, like Euro or Sagarda, that can protect those auras. You're just asking to get two for one or three for one. A lot of these are pretty good auras, and they, you know, some of them are things that 
you can return back to um, your hand, whether like Dragon Breath, for example. If, so, if, if it gets blown up by the Victus or something, you can bounce it back and, and recast it or return it from the graveyard in the case of Dragon Breath. But I think there's just a few enchantments there that you would be better served running, even like some of those creatures that, you know, when this creature comes into play, target creature you control gets, you know, plus three, plus two on the turn or something. I think you'd be better served pulling a few of those auras out for maybe even more bodies or some of the cards in the rec list. Right. So we've got a couple of things like Alpha Authority, Aspect of the Mongoose, Dragon Breath, like you mentioned. So some of those probably don't necessarily need to stay because they are a little vulnerable. I'm totally on board for that. Matt, how about you? I kind of agree with the with the enchantments. Conchorn is an artifact that kind of, it's just a one-shot effect that puts something back on top of your library. I think it's a little low impact to be playing there. You can do, do stuff like I mean, it's just a, a, a regrowth effect. Sure, I understand the, the pull of it. It's a permanent. Um, I'm not entirely sold on there. But yeah, like you said, some of those auras, and when you look at the uh, the opposite side of the recommendations tab on the website, there's a there's a tab that says your deck, where it basically shows all the cards you are running in the deck, and it breaks everything down by how unique it is to Vivictus. So, you know, looking at Harold's deck, uh, Frenzied Fugue? Fugue? <laughs> just Fugue. Fugue. It's another one of those Joey Schultz made up words. Okay. It has a uniqueness score of, of 90. Uh, so I'm guessing 90% of Vivictus decks are not playing this or just maybe not, you know, 90% of red decks in general. Hydra Omnivore also has a score of 90. Avatar of Slaughter, uh, Into the Wilds. And actually, Into the Wilds, I, I kind of like quite a bit. But yeah, so just those those top three cards. I'm a big fan of Hydra Omnivore. I even was, you know, talking to Dana a couple weeks ago about, you know, are you running in your in your Exalted deck for Saskia? It's a great card. I just don't know if it's really what you want to be doing here. Whereas Into the Wilds basically just get to pull lands off the top of your library. I do like that here. So that's one card I would probably keep in for sure. Um, even though, according to the Rex page, it's kind of scoring high on the maybe you should reconsider this type of score. Well, I don't think that that's necessarily the the way that we should look at that part of the feature. The Your Deck page shows the uniqueness, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should reconsider it. It's just showing you that there's a card that not a lot of people are playing. And you can certainly take that to be a signal that maybe they're not playing it for a reason. But, I, you know, it, it is up to each person to interpret whether they want to be uh, more unique with their decks. With that said, I do agree with a lot of the cards that you pointed out on that Your Deck section that shows all of the uniquenesses in the deck. Things like Frenzied Fugue, Hydra Omnivore, Avatar of Slaughter. Some of those are just pretty pricey and a little, I guess the word I'd use is clunky. They do all encourage attacking and this deck definitely likes to attack and hopefully it's getting stuff into play for free. But there is a limit on how many things you are going to get into play for free and you do have to be pretty selective about that, I think. So that is kind of why I think that some of the cards that we're seeing here on the uniqueness probably wouldn't make the cut. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's some of those ones that are unique are kind of unique for a reason and I, that's where you'd make the cuts for sure. Yeah, because we are seeing a whole bunch of other really cool stuff in this deck at a whole lot of mana costs. So things like Terastodon is showing up, things like It That Betrays, uh, Magmatic Force is a pretty fun one that I haven't seen in a while, but I really like the idea of that one. Oversea of the Damned is a pet card of mine. That's a 7 mana 5-5 five, five flying demon that enters the battlefield and destroys a creature and makes zombies whenever some other creatures die. And Vivictus is going to make your opponent sacrifice creatures every turn. He's a removal spell every time he attacks which is just bonkers cool 
There's another card that's actually pretty unique for Herald's list, according to EDH Rec. It shows up pretty high on the uniqueness chart, and that's Goreclaw Terror of Calcisma. And I actually really like the bear here. That's a four mana, four three that reduces the creature spells you cast with power four or greater by two, which is awesome because most of the creatures, and the deck is mostly creatures, it's got 40 creatures, and most of the creatures meet exactly that standard, and this is a really cool way of getting ramp without having ramp spells. So there's some pretty creative stuff in the deck here. Yeah, I agree. I, I like some of those um, suggestions. I really like Stolen Strategy. That's kind of a fun uh, enchantment that that I do like, where it's one of those new Battle Bond cards, uh, four and a red. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of each opponent's library until end of turn. You may cast non-land cards from among these exiled cards. And you can spend mana as though or any mana or mana of any color to cast those spells. So it's another one of those effects where you know you're not running any, any instants or sorceries or whatever but that doesn't mean you can't cast them because you're stealing everybody else's stuff. <laughs> nice. And then finally, Aid from the Cow is one of my favorite cards ever. And this just fits perfectly in a Vivictus deck where it has that revolt ability where if something left the battlefield under your control, at the end step, you can reveal a top card and put on the battlefield uh, if it's a permanent. And that's just primo, just an extra copy of a Vivictus type of effect. I've been pretty lukewarm on Aid from the Cowl. I don't think the ability is that big of a payoff, but I do agree with you that if there is a deck for it, Vivictus is that deck. Particularly this one where the deck is entirely permanent, because you're always going to be hitting gas off of that. Yeah, always. There are a lot of tiny creatures among these 40 creatures as well. Things like Dryad Greenseeker or Guiltleaf Seer. Uh, we've got also a Deathrite Shaman. A couple of tinier cards here. What do you guys think of those creatures in the deck? I think they're fine. You got, I mean, you got to get to your your six drops eventually and stuff like birds and Deathrite Shaman. I'm a fan of Deathrite Shaman in, in basically any black green deck to begin with. It just, it's the best one mana planeswalker. I mean, just simple enough. Yeah, there are some really cool ones, although a few of them feel perhaps a little clunky to me. But I'm also kind of wondering if you guys think that there are enough tiny creatures we're seeing a very, very high density of six drops in this deck. I think there are about 12 six drops in this deck. Then there are about six, five, uh, excuse me, about six, seven drops, and then about five, eight drops, not to mention the cards at nine and 12 mana. Is the curve on this deck maybe a little awkwardly high? It does have a pretty big density of six drops, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're really, really hoping that the game goes your way because of something messes up your plans of treating stuff out with Evictus, it's going to be a long pod for you trying to hard cast these eight drops. Right. And that's kind of the thing. If I were to try and take a pretty critical look at some of the creatures that we're seeing here, stuff like the Hydra Omnivore that Matt mentioned, stuff kind of actually at the six mana range might be where I start to shy away because there's such a high density of them. And if you're going to try and cheat things into play and manipulate the top of your deck, then I kind of want those creatures that do get cheated in to have really, really, really big impacts on the board. So things like Brutalizer Exarch isn't quite as impactful as some of the other stuff that you could be doing. Uh, let's see, what's another one? My uh, Mitotic Slime is another one that stood out to me. This does provide you with a lot of fodder for Vivictus because Mitotic Slime is that 5-mana 4-4 that when it dies turns into 2-2-2s that when they die become 1-1s, that ooze that keeps breaking apart, which is really funny, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily worth the payoff or the defensive power that it could potentially provide compared to some other of the expensive stuff. So if you're looking for stuff to kind of 
maybe help lower the curve a bit if you need to focus a bit more on adding things like those signets in that we were talking about that the website recommended. I would look at some of those cards in the middle because the curve on the deck is really, really swollen there in the middle, especially around the uh, the six drop area. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if, if when, when it comes time to make some of these cuts, I think the thing you wanna look for, especially when you're talking like six plus drops, you want those creatures to do a thing or have the ability to do a thing when they come into play. I mean, yeah, Trastodon's eight mana, but when it hits the field, it's going to do its thing immediately. You're going to get value from it when it comes into play just full stop. Whereas something like, you know, maybe Rampaging Baloths or I'm trying to think of some other ones here I scanned over a quick. Even Butcher Malkir. Butcher Malkir is a good card, but there's going to be enough times that it comes into play and doesn't necessarily get anything done for the seven mana you spent to hard cast it. I think if you're going to start making cuts for creatures to lower that curve, you want to focus on leaving the ones that get you an investment, that get you something for your investment. Hydra Omnivore is going to take a full turn to pay off you doing anything versus Sepulchral Primordial, which is going to get you value as soon as, as, soon as it hits the field. Right, that's a really great point. Another one that stands out to me is the card Verdant Force, 8 mana, 7-7. Seven, seven. At the beginning of each upkeep makes a 1-1 one, one green sapperling. I like Verdant Force a lot, but you know what I also like is Tendershoot Dryad. So there are some cases where you can even maybe put the mana cost a little bit down somewhat because you can find a similar effects that might be also a bit you know farther a, b- a bit easier on your mana curve because there isn't any way that you can cheat all of these creatures into play so that that is the awkward part about it with the deck is that you do want them to be you know logically castable you can't actually play these spells but you do have to like find the effects that you really, really desire and focus on those and just make sure like Dana, like you were mentioning that those are very impactful. So yeah, it's definitely uh, pretty interesting. So we've got one more thing that we want to look at with this deck. There have been a lot of recommendations from the website, but are there any cards that the website didn't recommend that you guys think are definitely worth checking out to add to Harold's deck? The one that popped into mind for me right away, and there's two of them, I guess, um, Blood Gift Demon is fairly obvious just because it, you know, lets you Frexian Arena on a creature every turn. It's got a, you know, 5-4 flying body, and this deck needs some draw, so I kind of liked that. But it also takes a full turn to do anything. The one that I really like here is Disciple of Bolus at 4 mana, and it's a human wizard. When it enters the battlefield, you sacrifice another creature, gain X life, and draw X cards where X is that creature's power. There's so many big bodies in this deck that there's going to be a ton of times you drop Disciple of Bolus sacrifice that trusted on it's already done its work and draw back up to a full hand if not more then you're not relying on victus to be your only source of card advantage you've got a couple of creatures that also do it and disciple is so efficient just in general and in this deck where you've got so many big creatures it's even more efficient than usual i really like those suggestions matt what do you think um so one of the cards that that harold has on the maybe board is lurking predators i think that card would be absolute hot sauce oh yeah definitely put that in there and so lurking predators four and two green for an enchantment whenever an opponent casts a spell reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature card put on the battlefield otherwise put it on the bottom of your library when you have 40 creatures like harold does here you're going to get a lot of triggers from lurking predators like that's one of those cards that you just have to answer it's kind of a it's kind of like aid from the cowl only better it's a better aid from the cowl and i mean it's a win condition in this deck it's just gonna win you games 
Yeah, that thing has been disgusting in the Sliver decks that I've seen it because it's just putting so many creatures into play and things like Sliver decks tend to run about as many creatures as this Vavictus deck has, which means you're going to flip a ton of stuff. And if they're all really high mana cost stuff like the stuff we're seeing here, yeah, that sounds absolutely, just absolutely scary. Yeah, super. Um, Another enchantment that I think could be pretty interesting is Death Reap Ritual. That's the Golgari 4-mana enchantment that's uh, got that morbid ability. At the beginning of every end step, if something died, you draw a card. And sort of like the aid from the Cowl that you were mentioning, Matt, you're definitely going to make sure that stuff dies every turn because Vivictus is going to make people sacrifice things. And just generally, creatures die. People play Wraths. People fight in combat sometimes. Like... Creatures are going to die, so that could be a really great enchantment. It's still on theme for you. You're not you know, drawing cards with black spells, necessarily. Uh, you're drawing cards with a black enchantment instead, so you still get to stick to that theme, and it does a whole, whole ton of work uh, in the Marin deck, where I personally play it, and I think it could do just as much work here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I, I would be very remiss if I didn't suggest reassembling Skeleton. Um, that was one of my challenge stats when we first were talking about the, the Elder Dragons, but Vivictus decks, reassembling Skeleton is just a free sack. Uh, you target reassembling Skeleton, put something onto the battlefield that you cheat in, then you pay one in a black, put reassembling Skeleton back onto the graveyard, tapped, or back from the graveyard to the battlefield, tapped. It's just a free way to sacrifice something and get it back for very, very cheap. Yeah, that's just, it's a great card. It's something that you most Vivictus decks should be playing. Yeah, this is definitely a cool deck. I feel like Harold has really done a lot of his research when it comes to this deck. Looking at the lands, especially one of them that I'm seeing is Arcane Lighthouse, which can remove Hexproof and Shroud from your opponent's stuff, which means that Vivictus will be able to target those things, uh, their commanders, even if they have Shroud or Hexproof. Like, I think that he's definitely got a really, really spicy deck going here. But, you know, there are a couple of improvements that can definitely be found. And hopefully the stuff that we've mentioned here will help him with that. So... Good luck, Harold. You'll have to destroy us with your Vivictus deck if we ever meet you at a GP somewhere. For now, let's move on to our next segment. That is Head to Head. We are going to compare some data on the website, but first we're going to make each other guess about that data. So, Dana, what data do you have for us? The data I have today 
references two cards that were spoiled in the upcoming Ultimate Master set, and they are both box toppers, and they are both lands. The first is Ancient Tomb. The second is Cavern of Souls. Which of those two is in more decks on EDH Rack? Ancient Tomb, I know, taps for two colorless mana, but then it deals two damage to you. Correct. Cavern of Souls, that's the one, the tribal one, isn't you it? You choose a creature type, and creature ty- spells of that type can't be countered. And then you can, you, mm-hmm. you, and, and if, if you use Cavern of Souls to generate that mana. And it can tap for any color of mana for those creature spells, yes. too. That one's really cool. Uh, Matt will probably disagree with me because Matt disagrees with me about everything. But I think that Cavern of Souls might take it here because of all of the tribal hype that was happening over the past year after Ixalan. So that's going to be my guess. I actually think I'm going to agree with you because... <gasps> I Yep, I know. But I think a lot of people <laughs> really want their commanders to resolve. I know I personally hate it when my commander gets countered and I have to you know start all over again. Cost me two more mana to do it next time. So I think a lot of people might play Cavern of Souls, not just for the tribal aspect of it, but just to make sure that their commander resolves. I think that's a very, very relevant thing. Not that I don't think Ancient Tomb for the people who get a little more competitive, they want to play the you know that fast mana. Um, but I think there's also a non-zero amount of players who think, well, this cost me two life. I don't want to lose any life. And then they don't play Shocklands either because Shocklands are bad. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go with Cavern of Souls here, but I, I'm kind of torn on it, but I, I will lean Cavern. Well, I will say this about Cavern of Souls. I have always said if it was a $5 card, it would be in every single one of my EDH decks just to name the commander. So while it's definitely a strong tribal card, I think it, it the main reason it isn't in more decks is because of the price tag. You are both incorrect. Ancient Tomb is ahead oh. of Cavern of Souls. 19,204 decks for Cavern and 22,284 for Ancient Tomb. Well, well done. That's and I think maybe not everyone thinks the way necessarily that you do, Dana. Where getting that uncounterability on your commander is very, very important. That might be more of a meta thing because a lot of people don't sure. like playing with counter spells. So I wonder if that influences the numbers there. I, the price definitely has is too. I'm going to guess because Cavern, even when it was in standard, was like a twenty dollar card, and it's only gone up from there. Ancient Tomb. I mean, it's it's expensive now too, but it sat at. 10-ish for a long time. So I'm going to guess that probably is part of it as well. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Let's move on to my head-to-head now. I'm not yet tired of Jund. I want to think about some more Jund stuff. So I'm looking at a Kresh the Bloodbraided deck. And sort of tying into the Vevictus theme, I'm looking at two creatures that make people sacrifice stuff. So Kresh, as we all know, is that Jund commander that gets bigger whenever creatures die, which means that these two creatures have been super, super awesome for him. These creatures are Fleshbag Marauder, a three mana, three one that makes everyone sacrifice a creature when it enters the battlefield, and Merciless Executioner, a three mana, three one that makes everyone sacrifice a creature when it enters the battlefield. Which of those is more popular in a Kresh deck? Man, because it's the same card banning, barring creature type, correct? Yep. Flashback Marauder is the zombie warrior, and Merciless Executioner is an orc warrior. Aside from that, they're effectively the same card. And I believe Crush is also a warrior himself. Yes, that he is. I, I, I'm going to guess Fleshbag's in more decks just because it's kind of an iconic card that most people... Think when, when you think of that effect, you think of Fleshbag Marauder. It's been around a long time. It's had quite a few reprints. Not that Executioner isn't equally as good, because it is, but I think it's probably going to be a flashback. 
I'm going to agree. Are, are we going? You said we're going by synergy or total decks? Uh, percentage. Percentage. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Fleshbag Marauder just because it's it's gotten reprinted quite a few times. And like Dana said, it's been around for a long time too. So it's probably just kind of been, you know, imprinted in everybody's minds a little bit harder too. Yeah. I feel like to explain uh, the numbers here, it's definitely useful to actually look at the total number of decks that these two cards see play in. So this is just on their own index, not specifically within the crash context. Fleshbag Marauder shows up in 17,308 decks, and Mirthless Executioner shows up in 8,762. So Fleshbag is like more than twice as popular as uh, as the Merciless Executioner, which is just crazy. But in this deck, they're pretty close by. Fleshbag Marauder does still win it out, so kudos to you guys. He's 45% popularity there as opposed to merciless executioner which is 38 percent popularity so it's nice to see at least that his actual numbers are not twice as popular in crash decks uh just comparing that across i think that's pretty interesting to see there and it's neat to find those particular data points to see those effects that you definitely want more of when you compare the cards outside of the deck and then look at them inside the deck too i think that that's a pretty useful yeah i would agree Alrighty, Matt, let's finish up with your head-to-head. So I've got a three-parter, the old Dana Roach special. Nice. So we all know that Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves are the two most played equipment. They're almost universal in Commander. Protects your Commander, gives it haste, protects any just vital creature in general. But what do you guys think is the most played, percentage-wise, equipment following that? So your options are Whisper Silk Cloak, Sword of the Animist, and Sunforger. Which do you think is played in the highest percentage of decks? Now, I have to say percentage because Sunforger does have red-white to its color identity. Mm, right. So we're just looking at the decks that it could show up in. So that could show up in. That there. Yes. Man, I want to give, give Sunforger a fighting chance because obviously colorless fits in pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Sword of the Animus feels a little new, maybe, whereas Whisper Silk Cloak's been around a long time and it's been on a lot of precons. So, so the question for me then becomes Sunforger, because man, it's in a lot of Boros decks. People love their Sunforger action. I want to say Whisper Silk, but you're talking percentage. I'm going to go Sunforger. I think I'm going to go with Sword of the Animist, actually. It's just a very classic effect, getting lands whenever you attack with your creature, as opposed to something like Sunforger, which does require, you know, a, probably more of an equipment-focused deck is where I think people are playing it. And Whisper Silk Cloak, I think it takes the the right commander. Folks won't just stuff a Whisper Silk Cloak anywhere. They want to actually put it where it's needed, uh, with something like uh, Yidris Maelstrom Wielder, for example. So I think just because of how generically awesome the sort of the animist is i'm gonna pick that one but matt what's the real answer so the real answer goes to dana actually um Ooh. so Sunforger is in 14 percent of eligible decks it's in 7768 out of a possible 55,000. followed up by whisper silk cloak coming in at nine percent of 27,700 decks and finally sort of the animist in third only 7% of eligible decks. So what you're saying is that I was really, really wrong. You were wrong twice <laughs> with one answer. And, and I should say, Joey, I agree with you that, that sword's a pretty great effect that people want and like. I just think it's kind of a new enough card that maybe hasn't 
become kind of an ubiquitous part of the meta yet the way Whisper Silk was for a lot of years. I mean, that's going the other direction. I, I see a lot less Whisper Silk cloaks now than I used to, you know, two or three years ago. So it wouldn't shock me to see those two reverse positions down the road. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you trying to make me feel better. That's what your mom pays me to do, Joey. Huh? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on now to the next deck that we want to take a look at. Another listener submitted a deck. This commander's name also starts with V, which is very fitting because we're recording on November the 5th. Matt, tell us all about this other deck. I'm just enjoying Dana's comment, just letting it <laughs> stew just a second more. Because that we was, have deck decks to do. Come on. I'm, I'm aware, but I just I want to give Dana the, the proper credit for that one. But anyways, all right. So this next one is Verena Lich Queen. So our, one of our listeners, Jason Blackburn, sent us an email. Uh, said, this is my first go at Verena. Made some minor alterations, but nothing big. Love to hear what you have to say. Thanks from Jason. And then he gave us a link to his Verena Lich Queen deck, which is very much a tribal zombies deck. Go figure, because that's kind of what Verena is very good at. So yeah. this does have instants and sorceries. So a little bit of a change of pace here, but it is pretty straightforward at the same time. It's got quite a bit of the, uh, the zombie synergies going on there. It's got some of the new ones that take advantage of uh, having white from the Amonkhet block. Uh, so you have some white zombies in there too. And yeah, it's a pretty straightforward tribal deck. Yeah, we've got about 30 creatures, five enchantments, seven artifacts, three planeswalkers, and you already know what those are because Liliana has a lot of zombie-tastic versions. About 10 instants, 14 sorceries, and 30 lands is the thing that stuck out to me pretty immediately. That's really low compared to most of the decks that we see. What do you guys think about the land count? It almost actually gets pulled off because his curve pretty much stops at three, three and a half. He only has... Seven total five drops, one six drop, and one eight drop. So there's not a lot going on there at the top of the curve. It's kind of reverse of what Harold was doing on the last deck. And he's also got a fair amount of ramp in there, too. He's got the Signets in there, Seer's Lantern, Felwar Stone. Bantu's Monument is kind of ramp, kind of a little bonus on there, too. I do think it's low, but I think it's closer getting away with it than, than Harold's deck was. I, that's really, really lean. Um, even for a deck that's got a few, and I don't think it has enough artifact ramp to offset that. I think, you know, I've seen CEDH decks that are running every possible zero drop rock with a curve that's below two, and they're still running like 31, 32 lands. I, it probably works sometimes, but I bet he gets burned at 30 lands pretty frequently. I mean, my Edric Five Master Tress deck has a curve that's like one point, or, or an average CMC of like 1.7. And I'm still running like 34 or 33 lands, I think. And I still occasionally have problems. Um, I just, I, I feel like you're you're just going to struggle more often than you would like to with this deck with that few lands. Right. Something that's really cool about Verena is the fact that she can actually discard cards every time her or her zombie army attacks. So being flooded on lands in a Verena deck is actually not that big of a problem. Right. You can afford to have more lands because then it's just more fodder to get rid of and then use her ability to exile them and get more zombies, which is pretty great. Really quick, let's actually read Verena officially so that everyone is on the same page with what she does. 
So Verena, Lich Queen, that's one white, blue, black for a 4-4 zombie wizard. Whenever you attack with one or more zombies, you draw that many cards, then discard that many cards, and gain that much life. And you can pay two mana and exile any two cards from your graveyard to create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token. Hence, all of the awesome zombies. But, like I mentioned, I think since she has basic card filtering just already built in, having more than that many lands, I think, is definitely doable. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with there's that. There's plenty of cards to cut along the way. Right, but before we get to cuts, we do want to take a look at what EDH Rec has to recommend. So, Matt, will you take us through it? What is EDH Rec suggesting when we plug this deck into the recommendations feature? Sure, so and actually it's, it's got quite a few cards that you know make a lot of sense here. Uh, Dire, Dire Graph Colossus is the first one, um, which is a zombie giant for two and a black uh, when it enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each zombie card in your graveyard, if you're going to be discarding a lot of cards with Varina, this, you know, Diagraph Class is going to be pretty big when it comes out. And also, whenever you cast a zombie spell, put a 2-2 black zombie token onto the battlefield tapped. So it's going to make an army just for, you know, doing your thing. It's a very, very good card. Uh, number two on there, Rooftop Storm, which is one of my favorite cards for zombie decks, which is five and a blue, so it's a pretty expensive card. For an enchantment, but it also says you may pay zero rather than pay the mana costs for zombie creature spells you cast. So once you get on the battlefield, you can churn through your deck pretty quick. Yeah, Rooftop Storm is actually, I think, kind of this deck's version of Lurking Predators. Predators. It's another awesome six-mana enchantment that really frees up a bunch of stuff for this deck. It's really cool for Verena, especially because if you're not paying any mana for your zombies, you can then spend the mana to use her ability, which I think is just awesome. Yeah, both those cards are perfect fits here. I mean, this is the the perfect Diagraph Colossus deck, and any zombie deck benefits from Rooftop Storm. Right. We're also seeing a smattering of other zombie tribal stuff. You know, go figure, recommended by EDH Rex. So next we have Undead Warchief, which is an awesome zombie lord that gives your stuff plus two, plus one, and reduces zombie spell costs again, which is really great. Endless Ranks of the Dead is another really famous zombie enchantment that increases the size of your army. We've also got Cemetery Reaper. Then we've also got the Scarab God as another really nifty recommendation. I am really happy to see that one because the Scarab God can reward you for all of the zombies that you have by letting you scry X and drain your opponents for X for each zombie you control. So if Varina's making a bunch of tokens, that seems like a total shoo-in. Are there any cards here that you guys think do deserve, don't deserve the slot? I think the Lords are always a good idea for tribal decks. It's one of the nice things about being able to to play something that where you know everything lines up is you can boost the entire team with one card. It's like an anthem effect, you know, that you get in white. Only, you know, most of the time it's going to be stapled to a creature where everything just kind of adds up in steamrolls. So, and the nice part about Undead Warchief is he reads as a 1-1, but he's actually a 3-2 because he pumps himself as well. Yeah, and mm. and the, the cost reduction on Undead Warchief as well is nice because if you, you know, the more spells you cast per turn the more beneficial that is. It's not just a, you know, one mana rock, essentially. It's oftentimes saving you two or three mana per turn. That's really nice. And buffing the creatures plus two plus one versus the traditional plus one plus one is a really big deal when you're kind of going wide as well. Being able to drop this down and turn that potential 16 damage on the field into, a, you know, potential 24 or 28 or whatever, depending on how many creatures are out, drastically changes the game state and can turn somebody who thought they were safe and going to be able to kill you next turn into being dead. 
That's pretty awesome. We've got some other recommendations really quick here. One of them is Necromancer's Covenant. This is a six mana Orzhov enchantment that when it enters the battlefield, it exiles all cards from target player's graveyard and you get a black 2-2 zombie creature for every creature exiled this way. And it also gives your zombies lifelink. What do you guys think of this one? I like it. It's, it's graveyard hate. It gets rid of all Joey's favorite cards and uh, you should play it. That's that's exactly it. I'm like, ooh, I don't like this one. But the reason I don't like this card is because I don't want it used against me, which means that people should definitely run it because monsters like me exist and you need to keep us in check. It's also one of those cards that people have been wanting an Esper Zombie deck for a long time just to run that card because it really didn't fit in any of the previous zombie decks. Being able to finally put it in a deck, I think, also is just really nice to do. And the... Lifelink isn't nothing. And I know sometimes in Commander we tend to take the attitude that, well, it's just life. You can afford to pay it. And, and you definitely can. But also being able to gain 30-some life on a crackback with a field full of zombies buys you a turn plenty of times. Like There's a lot of instances where being able to drop that and then swing and gain that much life keeps you from dying in a situation when you would have died. Yeah, there are a few more cards recommended here by EDH Rec that I want to touch on. Something that's kind of funny, we can see a couple of removal spells like Anguish on Making and Cyclonic Rift is a recommendation for the Verena deck here. But I think that you can run whichever removal spells you like. And if you don't want to go with the traditional, we all know Cyclonic Rift is awesome, then power to you. I think that's quite commendable, in fact. Uh, I want to look at two more, though. Lich Lord of Unks and Zombie Apocalypse. Those are also recommendations here. And I kind of want your guys' take on those, too. I really like Zombie Apocalypse. I'm a big fan of Rise of the Dark Realms. Uh, and this is just a specific one for you. So, yeah, it gets all your zombies back on the battlefield with Verena. You're churning through the deck, and it makes it okay. Like, if you draw into that, you can discard a couple zombies you aren't going to be able to cast for a couple turns because you can just cast this the next turn and get them back anyways. Uh, it's just a really good way of getting, you know, some card advantage with your creatures. Yeah, I suppose the tension there is just, are you exiling too much stuff with Verena's ability naturally that Zombie Apocalypse may not actually have that big of a payoff? I think if you're being smart about what you're exiling and, and Verena, like you're, you're not always going to be activating it. You may not have mana every turn to, to sink into that. Plus you're going to be discarding instant sorceries, other card types. So if you make sure that you preserve, if, you know, granted, if somebody doesn't hate them out of your graveyard themselves, um, but you can play around that and make sure you're preserving your own zombies to, to draw into the, the zombie apocalypse eventually. I think that's very doable. Yeah. I've, I've seen enough, enough Verena decks get played so far and, Number one, her activated ability winds up being something that is just kind of a last resort or mana sink anyway. There's just enough other things that you can do with that deck. You don't need to rely on it. But when people do, there's enough other cards they've had to pitch that they can use for the sack fodder, the exile fodder to that, that they don't need to worry about their own zombies. So that doesn't really worry me in this deck. That's good to hear. I'm glad that you guys are on board with reanimation. This is all that I want in life. What about that Lich Lord? What do you guys think of him? Because I'm a little dubious. I'm dubious too. I, I've never liked Lich Lord of Unks. It, like if you're playing a mill strategy, that's fine. Otherwise, I, I uh, yeah. He doesn't do a th <laughs> he doesn't do a thing for a full turn. I think you've got enough other stuff that gets you there maybe easier and more consistently than Lich Lord does. I think he's a fine card, and I think if you have one in your binder, I'd put him in the deck. I wouldn't go out and spend the ten dollars to add one if I didn't have one. Oh, yeah, I just realized it's a $10 card. And if that's the case, then yeah, definitely not. I, I think, especially if you're working on a budget, uh, there's much better cards. Like you can do a Cemetery Reaper or 
you know, spend five bucks on an undead war chief and you're going to get much more bang for your buck that way. That seems fair. So as long as we're talking about cards that maybe we don't like, like the Lich Lord, we should take a look at the actual deck list itself. Are there cards there that you guys think probably don't deserve the cut? Uh, Dana, I think that you actually were working on a Varina deck for a while. Are there any that you're seeing here that didn't quite make your list? Uh, Joseph Vest didn't quite make my list. Um, I felt like he was kind of underwhelming as a 4-5 for 4 mana. And if you're relying on being able to kick a card for 11 for it to be good, I don't think you want that in your deck. So that was one that I didn't love. Don't love it when I was playing the deck. I don't love it here either. Yeah, well, and one of the cards that the the site says is kind of unique to Varina decks, uh, you have Bloodthrown Vampire here, which is fine and all because it's a nice sack outlet. But it's also a vampire, so it doesn't really line up with anything. Um, whereas you could be running Nantuko Husk, which is pretty much the same thing, but it is a zombie. Um, it costs one more, but you get a 2-2 instead of a 1-1. One, one. Um, but otherwise, it's the exact same type of creature. You sacrifice, It's a, just a creature that says sacrifice another creature. Uh, Nantuko Husk gets plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn, whereas Bloodthrown Vampire, it's a 2-drop, 1-1 one, one that does the exact same thing. Nantuko Husk gets the, the, the zombie type. I think that's something you should be playing in there. That, you're not, that isn't already in the deck. That's one thing that I probably be one of the first easy ads because it's a you know bulk two-cent card. Some of the counter spells in here too, I, I'm not really sold on. Um, there's stuff like Spell Pierce, which I've never been a big fan of in, in Commander. Uh, the two mana just, yes, it's, a, it's one mana. You can probably get something early, um, but it just doesn't do a whole lot. Same with Mana Leak. I think you can turn those into uh, maybe some different utility spells, maybe some removal, or just hard counter spells like maybe some dissipates or anything like that yeah i mean i i think a lot of those instant spells are things that i would run just a slightly different version of whether it's you know fatal push is a perfectly good card in it's a great card in other formats in commander it's a perfectly fine card but you know reality shift is always going to get the job done it's always going to hit any permanent in any creature you want and it exiles it versus fatal push where you're hoping you have the raid trigger to hit anything and even then you're limited to four or less there's a couple of those things I would swap. Mortify for Anguish Unmaking. Probably Vindicate for Utter End. So there's a few of those like where you can get a really similar spell doing a similar thing that's that's better more often. I, I like all of those. Uh, an alternative counterspell that I myself would suggest is Stubborn Denial. That's one that I've used as a challenge to stats in the past. Uh, and Stubborn Denial is automatically triggered by the fact that Verena is a four-power creature, which means that you'll always get that one mana negate, and that seems a lot better than things like the Spell Pierce. Some of the creatures catch my eye as well. Jeralf's Masterpiece is one that sticks out to me. It's a five mana, seven, seven with flying, but it gets minus one, minus one for each card in your hand. Um, and you can also reanimate it if you do this weird discard three cards dance with it, but it just seems a little awkward to me, even if it is a flying zombie. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those cards that makes cuts sometimes because people are like, oh man, I just got wrecked by that dragon. I need to be able to put some kind of a body in the air. I think if I'm spending five mana on something just to get a flying blocker or flying creature, I would rather just run levitate and make all of my zombies have flying. I'm also a little skeptical of Entreat the Dead. Yes, for sure. It's fine, but I think you can just play, you know, Zombie Apocalypse and it's going to be more mana efficient for you because you have to pay X to get those X creatures out of the graveyard, whereas Zombie Apocalypse, it's just five and you you flood the board. Um, I think mana-wise, it's going to be a lot better, and it's going to be way less conditional to be, you know, have all that upside. 
Mm-hmm. Graveyard Marshal is another that sticks out to me. Two mana, three, two, that says pay three, exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a tap to two, two black zombie creature token. Since we kind of discussed earlier, we might want to actually be a little wiser about which cards we're exiling. And Verena already has basically this same sort of ability. I'm not sure that we need the redundancy of that particular effect. I'd rather have either more lands in the deck or more lords in the deck that would power up the entire team. One creature that's jumping out at me that isn't in there is Graveborn Muse. And I realize it's pretty dangerous in a zombie deck because it's going to deal damage to you based on the number of zombies you control. Um, but your commander has a lifelink based on zombies you control, so you're going to, for the most part, gain that life back. Yes, there's going to be some times when you know, you're going to be in a position where when you play it, you're going to take damage that will kill you before you can gain it back. But there's going to be so many times when you've got it in play and you just draw 14 cards during your main step because of all your zombies and tokens in play, excuse me, during your upkeep, and then go to your attack phase, gain all that life back, and draw 14 more cards. Like The, the upside on that card is so phenomenal that if you're semi-cautious, the downside is just going to burn you so infrequently, it's worth running. Yeah, speaking of bad downsides, Bantu's Last Reckoning is one that sticks out to me in the uh, sorcery section. Destroys all creatures, but then your lands don't untap on your next untap step. That doesn't seem worth the three mana to me compared to some of the other removal spells that we'd have access to in these colors. And then finally, another three mana card that I'd take a pretty critical eye toward is Seer's Lantern. That's the three mana tap to add a colorless, but then you can pay two, tap it, and scry one. Seems pretty minimal, and I don't think that we necessarily need that particular effect any others jumping out to you guys any other other stragglers that you might nix from this one Uh, i might push back on solemnity uh you're not really doing anything broken with it plus it shuts down your own planeswalkers so i i wouldn't be playing solemnity in here especially because there's stuff like uh, quest for the grave lord next to it which you know depends on having counters so um solemnity it would be a hard cut for land for me um that's just yeah you're not really abusing it like i'm I'm sure if, you know, you gotten killed by Infect a couple times or you have a buddy running a plus one, plus one counters deck or something like that, you might have stuck, snuck that in there. Um, but Solemnity definitely would be a cut for a land 100% for me. Yeah, I agree. I, I, unless there's something I'm missing and I was wondering if there was, like maybe there's some interaction I'm just not seeing that makes it really good. And if there is, great. Maybe you can tutor it up frequently enough to have that be a thing that wins you a game. If there isn't, though, yeah, I agree. I think it hurts you often enough that the times it helps you probably doesn't wash. And finally, one last instant that I just noticed, another three-mana card. That's Restore the Peace. That's a one white-blue instant, and it says to return each creature that dealt damage this turn to its owner's hand. I'd probably be more willing to just play something like uh, Sudden Spoiling or the Polymorphous Jests that uh, Matt mentioned on the previous show in the three-mana combat trickery slot. This one seems a little awkward since creatures have to actually have hit you before you get a big payoff from it, and something a bit different, maybe even like an Aether Spouts effect, might be a bit better in that particular category. Yeah, I was going to say Aetherize or Aether Spouts is going to do the same thing without requiring you to take damage. I I would definitely run one of those two if you wanted to do a mass bounce of stuff swinging at you and didn't want it to be Rift, I would for sure go with Aetherize or Aether Spouts over Restore the Peace. With that said, though, Restore the Peace can potentially have some cool interactions if someone else is attacking someone else, and then they can deal damage so one of your opponents is still being damaged, and then you can bounce all of their stuff. That way you're not protecting an opponent. So there is that potential interaction, which is kind of cool, because, you know, multiplayer. But generally speaking, I, I would prefer that my spells 
can be used definitely in times to save me when I need it. So that's probably why I'd make that switch. Yeah, I think that, I think that's pretty fair. I think I think the the first thing that I would say just to help even this deck out, cut five cards, something like Solemnity, maybe restore the peace. Get your way up to 35 lands. That's going to be the biggest help that we can suggest for the deck. Yeah. Right. But we're not out of suggestions just yet. There are a ton of suggestions from the Rex tab on EDHREC, but we also want to take a look at some of the cards that aren't showing up there. What are some cards that aren't showing up in that Rex tab and on the EDHREC page, but that you still think could be pretty useful for this arena deck? I think, like, like you said, Joey, instead of Bontu's Last Reckoning, just run a four-mana Wrath, like Wrath of God, um, Day of Judgment, anything like that. I mean, you have white, so you may as well use it. There's some other good stuff, you know, just along those lines. It's very easy swaps for something that's just going to be more efficient. Sure. Uh, I also, I really like the Lord effects, but since Verena has access to white, I think that other Anthem effects are also worth pursuing. One that I really like is Radiant Destiny. This is a three mana white enchantment that has Ascend, and as it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type get plus one, plus one, and as long as you have the city's blessing with that Ascend, they also get Vigilance. Getting the city's blessing is going to be super easy in Commander, especially when you're you know, making that many zombie tokens. So this could be a really cool way, instead of having just your creatures that all buff each other up because they're all zombie lords, Radiant Destiny is a really neat way to make your deck still aggressive, but also defensive to help you kind of control the board in a really neat way. And it's just another really cool pump effect for all your awesome zombies. The one that's not showing up on the rec page that I am kind of liking a lot is going to be Unholy Grotto as a land. Number one, you need more lands anyway, but being able to put a land in that lets you spend a single mana to put a zombie from a graveyard on top of your library, you're just not going to be able to reanimate everything. There's going to be enough times you wind up with a great zombie dead or they gets milled because you had to hold on to something else. Um, being able to bring that back to the top of your library to get it off your draw with Verena next turn is really, really useful. There's almost no downside to it in this deck, and that's a pretty good upside for a card that's you know only a buck or so. Finally, I've got one more recommendation, and that's the card Gisa's Bidding. Do you guys know what this four-mana black sorcery does? No idea. It seems kind of wonky, but I really, really like it for this particular deck. Gisa's Bidding is a two-black-black sorcery that says put two two-two black zombie creature tokens onto the battlefield. Doesn't sound great, but it's got madness for two and a black. And since Varina is going to be discarding cards from our hand, we can actually get to cast one of those cards as it's being discarded with that madness ability and get two more zombies, which I think is just pretty neat. So it's a really easy way to get zombies on the board. Yeah, there's yeah. a couple of reasonable madness cards um, out there that would work well in this deck. I don't know if you want to go too all in on that particular strategy, but there's a couple of ones that have some nice synergy as well. Call of Another World is a sorcery that you can return a black creature card from your graveyard to your hand and it has madness zero. So essentially use it for one of your Verena discards and get back something else that had died previously or had been discarded. It's it's basically a card in your hand that's going to do the thing you're already doing and it's going to bring you a zombie back to your hand as well. So Mattis is a really fun effect anyway, and there's some pretty um, neat cards that don't work anywhere else in Commander for the most part that you can actually use here to good effect. Yeah, one, and one card that I really like, if you switched away from kind of the, the pseudo-control route, um, Behind the Scenes is a fantastic card yeah. um, to help punch damage through. Um, it's two and a black for an enchantment, and creatures you control have Skulk, which means they can't be blocked by creatures with power with greater power. Um, and then you can also pay four and a white to give all your creatures plus one, plus one until end of turn. Being able to give them you know some sort of pseudo-unblock ability 
and then pump them after the fact whenever they you know you've moved to damage is super great um i play that in my edgar markov deck to great effect so something like this i think would fit in very very well with a, a varina deck where you're trying to go wide yeah i like that a lot so jason i hope that that was helpful i hope that some of these tips and recommendations have been useful for your varina deck for now we have one last segment that we have to get to and that is challenge the stats dana would you start us off challenging that data i certainly can i will begin challenging the stats with a card that's in 822 decks and that's argivian restoration it's two mana and two blue for a sorcery that simply says return target artifact card from your graveyard to the battlefield. To the battlefield is the key there. Being able to bring back some big, relatively expensive, disgusting thing straight into play without having to bring it to your hand is almost always more efficient than returning it to your hand, particularly when you're talking about artifact decks where you know, you're going to oftentimes see a Worm Coil Engine out there or Mirror Battlesphere or Dark Steel forge in your graveyard you know there, there's enough things that being able to put it straight back into play is really really efficient i run this in one artifact deck and i just can't think of a time i've ever had it in hand when i didn't have a target that it was worth four mana to put straight back into play and being in less than a thousand decks considering how many artifact decks running blue are out there always really surprises me yeah i mean it's more reanimation so you know that joey's on board absolutely yeah <laughs> all right i'm gonna move on to mine just like my head-to-head -head was a jund deck because you know we were looking at uh, another jund deck at that time i want to move on to another esper deck since we were just looking at varina so i'm going to be looking specifically within the context of aminatu the fate shifter aminatu is a really interesting esper planeswalker she can manipulate the top of your deck a little bit she can shift things around if she gets to her ultimate but her blink ability the minus one ability to blink a permanent that's the thing that's been fast fascinating to me. A buddy of mine built an Amanatu deck and he played a card that totally blew us out and I definitely think that more folks should be playing it because right now it doesn't show up on Amanatu's deck uh, on her page just at all. The card that I think deserves to see play for her is Phyrexian Scriptures. This is actually a saga from Dominaria, so it's two black black for an enchantment. Chapter 1, you put a plus one counter on up to one target creature and that creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Just, you know, forever. Not necessarily the best start, but chapter two is where it gets really interesting. Chapter two, destroy all non-artifact creatures. That's awesome, because then the creature that you made an artifact gets to survive. Chapter three, exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards, which is certainly cool, and you can let it get to chapter three and then go away if you don't need the saga anymore, but that's the kicker. Amanatu can blink your permanence, which means that you can repeatedly use this Phyrexian scriptures to turn one of your creatures into an artifact, which stays that way forever, not until end of turn, and then on the next turn, destroy all non-artifact creatures, repeatedly wiping the board over and over again with this awesome enchantment by just blinking it. So I think that that definitely deserves to see more play for Amanatu. I think that's fair. That's a pretty good pick right there. Yeah, it's a really good. That's a really good call. Oh, thank you. Well, my you can definitely give all the credit to the friend of mine who destroyed me with this interaction, and not to me. Um, okay, I'm just no credit to Joey. He's, ever. Yeah, he's the inventive one. Uh, all right, Matt. Let's finish off with yours. So, since you know you stuck with Esper, I'm going to stick with the tribal cards here. Um, so, Coat of Arms is played in five percent of all decks since it came out. Um, it's played in almost thirteen thousand decks total. 
But a card that doesn't show up on the top artifacts page at all, whereas Coat of Arms does, is one that I think might be a little bit better, which is Vanquisher's Banner. Artifact for five mana, same as Coat of Arms. Um, as Vanquisher's Banner enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type you of the chosen type get plus one plus one. And whenever you cast a creature spell of the chosen type, you draw a card. So it may not be near as snowbally as Coat of Arms, but I think Vanquisher's Banner being played in only 5,100 decks, I think should be played quite a bit more considering Coat of Arms is almost in 13,000 decks. The nice thing about it is it only affects one creature type, whereas Coat of Arms, it hits every creature out there, not just your own, which really can backfire. Um, We've kind of been critical of Coat of Arms several times on the podcast. I've said... You know, it's you, you drop that late in the game and then you kind of go for an alpha strike from there because you don't want to give your opponents a chance to benefit from it. Vanquisher's Banner, yes, it only gives plus one, plus one. It's it's capped out at that, but only affects your own cards or your own creatures, I should say. But the best part about it is it's a draw engine and, you know, some of those tribes that don't have great ways to draw cards, stuff like elves, soldiers, any of the white tribes, really. But also if you snuck it into a Varina deck, it still would be, you know, fairly effective for you because... You know, you're drawing a bunch of cards, gives you more options to discard with Verena's ability. I think, especially considering that Coat of Arms is in 5% of all decks eligible to be running it, I'm sure at least 5% of the decks out there are tribal decks of some sort. So Vanquisher's Banner should be in at least as many percentage of decks, if not more. Can't say that I disagree. Vanquisher's Banner is really cool. And you mentioned a really important point there, too. Coat of Arms and Vanquisher's Banners, those are very different creatures, actually. Not creatures, obviously. They're artifacts. It's just the saying. Like, those are entirely... Sure, that's a good way to phrase it too. <laughs> Coat of Arms is the late game crater hoof esque play that you make just all in one bam. But Vanquisher's Banner is the actual thing that you want to play early and start accruing value, sort of like Door of Destinies. And tribal decks can use that value over time quite a lot. So I'm totally on board. I think that just definitely deserves to see more play. Yeah, I think I think if you're a newer player, Vanquisher's Banner is almost always just going to be a good card in your tribal deck. You really can't screw it up. And then after you've played for a while and gotten really comfortable with the game and comfortable with your deck, then maybe you want to move to that coat of arms or, or add it in as well in alongside Vanquisher's Banner because it's one that you maybe need to be a little bit more skilled of a player to play in a way that isn't going to uh, cost you the game sometimes. So yeah, I, I like Vanquisher's Banner both as just a card in general and as kind of your intro to that kind of effect since it's one that isn't going to backfire on you. This has been super fun, guys. Harold and Jason, thank you so much for submitting your Vevictus and Varina decks to us so that we could pick them apart, criticize them. It's nice to let us criticize something that isn't me because I know that that's what Dana and Matt prefer to do. So thank you for being our guinea pigs. I hope that EDHREC has provided some really helpful suggestions, and I hope that we have too. I mean, I know my feedback is always fantastic, but, you know, we'll we'll let you work on yours. (laughs) All right. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can find me on the Twitter bird at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, Commander Central. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and on Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when it hits 5,000 likes and when we get 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can contact us like Jason and Harold did at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. If you've got questions or maybe other decks that you, we could you know, review on a future show, that would be awesome. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This podcast is posted every week on our community content spotlight section on EDH Rec, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH Rec your deck before you wreck your deck. Oh my goodness. Directly to each other. Was, we gotta keep yeah. it secret from, from Joey the Clandestine communication. Get rain on the parade. Your, reaction, your reaction's <laughs> better than Hey, we, we tried this once and you kiboshed it, so now we gotta plan ahead. Because apparently I can't I, introduce I no myself regret. as Chad Kroger. <laughs> <laughs>